Movies, shows, video games, books, whatever your interests may be, we all find ourselves escaping to some fictional world at one point or another. Here on this podcast, I want to dive into these vast worlds, explore what makes them unique, and find out what goes into crafting such a place. I'm Jacob, and you're listening to Fictional Deep Dive. Welcome back to another episode of Fictional Deep Dive. After taking a break in the last episode to talk with Dr. Julie Drew, and after looking at more traditional fantasy shows than the couple of episodes prior to that, we finally made it to a show that has piqued my interest over the past month or two. The latest Star Wars show to premiere on Disney Plus just wrapped up its first season with Andor, so it only seemed fitting to take a look at it next, especially being a huge Star Wars fan myself. This show definitely flew under the radar for many people, as how can anyone possibly be as excited for a character like Cassian Andor when you have characters like Obi-Wan Kenobi and Mandalorians all getting their own TV shows? To the surprise of many people, myself included, not only did this show surpass any expectations I had, but it may just be the best piece of Star Wars content since the original trilogy. But before we dive into that, and how the show succeeds in its storytelling, let's take a look at the show itself and some of the history behind the scenes. Andor is the latest show taking place in the Star Wars universe, which should need no introduction as it's one of, if not the largest and most diverse fictional universes ever created. What sets this show apart from other Star Wars content, however, except maybe the first season of The Mandalorian, is that it does not rely heavily on references and cameos from other established characters in the universe. If you see a familiar face, such as Mon Mothma or Saw Gerrera, it's because they have a part to play in furthering the story, not just to shock the audience and sell more merchandise. The show primarily follows Cassian Andor, hence the name of the show, and his journey into becoming a part of the Rebellion, which is portrayed way more accurately than even the original trilogy's portrayal, where the Rebels are simply the good guys fighting against the Empire, who are obviously the bad guys. Instead, the Rebellion is shown in a way that closely resembles real-life rebellions, where it takes a heavy toll on those involved, requires sacrifices, and can even reach points where it becomes no different than the regime it's fighting against. All of these mature themes are present in this show, and it does a fantastic job of showing the true cost of freedom. But before we dive any deeper into the narrative, let's take a look a little bit at the show's creation. Andor serves as a prequel to Rogue One, and technically a sequel to the prequel trilogy. The whole Star Wars universe is filled with various prequels and sequels. In terms of the timeline, though, this takes place right before Rogue One, where the Empire has comfortably established themselves as the dominant power in the galaxy, and the time of the Jedi has long since passed. In fact, there are no Jedi or even lightsabers to be seen anywhere throughout this show. Andor's lead showrunner, Tony Gilroy, chose to tackle this project very differently compared to other Star Wars content in that the main focus was on creating a show that didn't rely on the Star Wars name and established world to sell it, but rather to create some truly compelling characters, and an engaging narrative that could then be elevated by the fact that it is in Star Wars. This relates to my own critiques on the Rings of Power show. Yes, I'm bringing it up again and how it compared to House of the Dragon in that one of the two shows decided to use the fictional world it was a part of as a crutch to carry it, while the other created something compelling without relying heavily on the fantasy. The writers behind Andor were also behind the making of Rogue One, which further connects these two projects as they carry similar tones. 
as they take place in the same area in the Star Wars timeline. This, along with the fact that Andor himself, Diego Luna, became a vital part of the writing process as a showrunner himself, helped to ground the world in a realistic and fresh new way while still remaining recognizable as Star Wars. So now that we've taken a look at the making of the show, let's dive straight into the show itself. As I previously mentioned and briefly touched on, Andor is a show that has a heavy focus on the politics of the world it occupies. With this being Star Wars, politics have always been present, though it's something that has sort of been lost in this decade of Disney Star Wars content. Along with this heavy focus on politics, there's also a heavy focus on the everyday people of the Star Wars universe, and how at the end of the day, they are the reason why the Empire is eventually defeated in Return of the Jedi. There are no special Jedi to turn the tide of this battle, no Darth Vader's and Emperor Palpatine's present in this show, other than the occasional name drop to let you know that they do in fact exist. Just regular, everyday people in an oppressive, fascist regime, intent on controlling everything and everyone in this galaxy. Speaking of the Empire, the way they are portrayed in this show may just be my favorite portrayal of them in all of Star Wars. While we've seen before that they are simply evil for evil's sake, this show gives us a look at the type of people involved in a regime like that, with a grounded and realistic take, and like many people have repeatedly pointed out, it helps to show that they are basically just space Nazis. While many other shows tend to show them as constantly being one-upped by the Rebels, this show allows us to see that even though the Rebels are usually one step ahead of the Empire, they aren't far behind, and it comes with a great amount of sacrifice on the Rebels' part to stay in that position. One of the main characters of the show, ISP officer Dedra Miro, perfectly personifies the Empire itself. Andor himself puts it best when he mentions that the Empire has reached a point where they have grown so satisfied with years of unmatched control that when something like the Aldani heist happens within the first half of the show, they are left utterly shocked and can't even imagine how something like this was even possible. This of course is returned with tight restrictions put in place by the Empire, but I think I've spent enough time on this Empire rant. Let's go back to looking at the general plot of the show and what role Cassian plays in his own show. When we are first introduced to Andor, immediately the setting and quality of the show itself are instantly an improvement compared to many of the projects that came before, most notably the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. Andor himself is not a rebel, but a lowlife who owes credits to basically everyone in his homeworld of Ferrix, and accidentally is involved in the killing of two Imperial officers. While this typically would not be a huge deal to the Empire, Inspector Cyril Karn, an Empire loyalist who worships the work that they do, takes notice and despite other officers' comments, he begins a hunt for Andor. This spirals the plot into motion as every event that occurs pushes Andor further into becoming a rebel, and realizing what state the rest of the galaxy is in due to the Empire's control. Throughout its first season, Andor is constantly choosing to run from his problems and the Empire rather than face it head-on. Why care about rebelling against them when it's easier to just run away and pretend like the atrocities they commit don't bother or even affect you? Along with Andor, we follow a few other narratives that all eventually lead to the same place. There's the community of Ferrix with characters such as Marva Andor, Cassian's mother, Bix Kaleen, Basso, and even more. Then there's the rebels like Luthen, Saw Gerrera, Vel, and Sinta, as well as the political cast on Coruscant with Mon Mothma and her family drama. Each of these different narratives constantly connect with each other, and the actions of one group largely affect the other, 
which makes the whole story feel intertwined and like it all has a purpose for being there. Not only are there different narratives running parallel with each other, but the show itself is divided into arcs of about three episodes each. While there are the occasional episode or two that do drag a bit, the pacing is fairly good with each arc never overstaying their welcome. A personal favorite of mine and many other fans of the show is the prison arc, which brings back an actor who I really enjoy and has previously played in Star Wars, Andy Serkis. This arc perfectly nails what the rebellion is all about. Even something as simple as the prison itself that the episode takes place in is interesting, with every little detail being meticulously planned out. I honestly can't say enough good about the show. And while I don't want to simply spoil the whole show, let's switch it up to see what the world does right in terms of the creative decisions made behind the scenes. Simply put, what makes this show so immersive and compelling to audiences is its characters and the constant struggles each of them face, both on the side of the rebels, the side of the empire, and those who don't want any part of it at all. Most of the information about the show that I've already described shows just how well written the characters are. Every piece of dialogue seems like it has a reason to be there, with something that is said or done in one episode completely influencing another person's actions episodes later. A great example of this is the Aldani heist, which I already brought up once before. This arc of the show takes place early on and sets the stage for how the Empire reacts moving forward. To briefly summarize it, Andor teams up with a small group of rebels who attempt to steal money from an Imperial outpost. The plan is meticulously thought out, and once the heist begins, and eventually ends, the Empire completely shuts down everything or places restrictions on everything throughout the galaxy to ensure that this is never repeated. However, due to these restrictions, people like the community of Andor's homeworld on Ferrix become even angrier at the increase in the Empire's presence, which leads to full-on rebellion. Every action, every cause throughout this show has an effect, and it's compelling from beginning to end. While I feel like I could go on and on about every little detail about this show, I don't want to simply relay the show back to you through this podcast, but rather give some of my thoughts on how it succeeds so well in my eyes. While I don't think the show is perfect, and like I said before, it does drag on in a few instances, overall I feel like this is exactly what Star Wars needed, to spark some life into a franchise that was becoming a little bit stale. I definitely don't think this is a show for everyone, and because of that, many people may see it as a failure, but I couldn't disagree more. This show basically has set a new standard for what these Star Wars shows can be moving forward. I don't think every show needs to be like this one, and it's alright to throw in some cameos every once in a while, but even on a production level, the amount of detail that went into every aspect of this show is just perfect, and I for one cannot wait for the second and final season of the show. And with that, we've reached the end of another episode. Hopefully you were able to watch Star Wars Andor, and if not, hopefully this episode convinced you to give it a shot, as I do believe it deserves to stand up there with shows like House of the Dragon as some of the best TV of 2022. Hopefully you've enjoyed this episode of Fictional Deep Dive. I'm Jacob. Thanks for listening.